Again, these scripture or these passages are for seven churches that a lot of us probably don't even realize, but we're all located uh, in modern day Turkey. And so, like Ephesus, we talked about last week, I think is 30 some miles away from Smyrna that we're talking about today. And I had a map, I just didn't get the time to put it up, but I was going to show you how closely uh, located these churches were. God had given John, or Jesus had given John visions of the, the things to come for these churches. And, and it showed them what they needed to work on. And we were going through those seven things uh, as a church. And, and anyway, the church of Ephesus, we talked about last week that, that how the, that Christ came to them and told them that how that they had forgotten their first love. Their salvation, you know, of loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And he told them to repent and do the works you did at first. But the Lord really showed me through the scriptures that how the, the church of Ephesus was such a mighty, uh, strong church. You know, it started in Acts 19 with 12 families, basically, 12 men and their wives and children in Acts 19, 12. They had been ministered to by John the Baptist, but the Apostle Paul came in in Acts chapter 19 and, and talked to him and shared with him. They are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the, the word said they prophesied and spoke in tongues. And there's just a move of God going across the church of Ephesus to the point that they were doing extraordinary miracles by the laying on of hands. And there's just a powerful anointing upon this church. That even the handkerchiefs and the aprons that the, the anointed had touched, they would take and, and take it to sick people or people that needing deliverance. And just by laying it on them and praying for them, they were being healed. So extraordinary miracles were going on in this body. And, and just unbelievable things. But we see over a period of time from Acts chapter 19 until Revelation chapter 2, probably 40 years that this church had gone from this loving God and loving people and, and, and growing this wonderful kingdom of God to having to repent for losing and walking away from their first love. And, and, and how easily that we can do that as Christians, that we can get so caught up in the world and just go through the motions of church and really miss out on what God's trying to do. And say, said to them, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand in place from its place unless you repent. And then we go over, you know, 30 or 40 miles away to the church of Smyrna. And, and we see that this church is still doing the extraordinary things. We're, we're seeing a move of God going on in their body, their they're leading people to Christ. They're loving God. They're doing all these great things. We see all these great things going on. And, and this is the words that Jesus spoke over these church, this church in Smyrna. Now, again, I failed to say it, but, but I believe it's also for the church today. And as we're going through this, guys, we need to look at our lives and make sure we're not the church of Ephesus and to look at our lives and maybe if we're the church of Smyrna and we're going through some difficult times that we need to continue to press into God 
and his love and continue telling others about him. And he'll use us to change his kingdom. But Revelations 2, 8 is what Jesus was speaking to the church. And the angel of the church in Samaria write, These words are the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty, poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now, I wanted to go there today and the Lord wouldn't let me. Because Jews were coming in professing all these things when it was totally opposite and wrong. And how I think today that there's a lot of believers spouting out a lot of unbeliefs. A lot of unbeliefs. A lot of false Christs out there right now. I wanted to go there. But as the scripture went on to say, it says in verse 10, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. In other words, you die, you're going to heaven. You're not going to be hurt by the second death if you follow Christ, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So we have the church of Samaria. That, that is already experiencing tribulation, poverty, and slander. You know, the first century believers or the, the commentaries were saying that, that they were really hit with the poverty thing. That if you served God or you served, uh, led people to Christ, you built the church, you did all the Christian things, they would remove your possessions, they'd remove your property, you'd lose your job. In other words, Satan was attacking this church extremely through poverty. He was trying to steal all the worldly possessions and take them away so that they would turn to the world and not Jesus. But again, tribulation, slander was against them. We know what slander is today. Man, just look at Facebook or, or your texting and all that. You know, they were experiencing tremendous slander for what they believed in. Tremendous poverty for loving God and loving people. Tremendous tribulation for loving God and loving people. And Jesus comes to them and says, now I want you to suffer. Now I want you to go through this suffering and, and, and see a little bit more there. And I'm thinking, wow, man, we're going through all these things here. And, and we're standing for you, Lord. We're doing all the right things. And you say, now there's going to be a season of suffering. And suffer means what we think it means. That you can go through a time of being miserable, uh, being uptight maybe. But there's going to be a time of that. And he goes, there also will be, a, this will go on for a while. And he said, 10 days. And I believe that it was longer than 10 literal days. Uh, I think it was 10 days that would last for a time. Meaning that from that time until Christ came back, there would be some suffering involved with loving God and loving people. That that kind of goes along with it. And we have to learn how to, that when the world comes against us, the how that we can love God and press through that and love Him more than ever. Some scholars believe that, that this represented a cruel leader. Some said that Nero was one of them cruel leaders that would kill Paul later on. But these cruel leaders would be set up over years to come. To come against the church and to come against the believer and to come against those that love God. 
But we see immediately almost that what Christ had spoke to Smyrna happened. Their leader, their overseer, the first martyr of their church was a student of the Apostle John. And his name was Polycarp. And I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Uh, I've been enough Bible college and seminary stuff that every professor says it different. So I just say it the way I want to say it. But Karen took me fishing this weekend and carps are on my mind. So Polycarp's what I'm going to say. But Polycarp here, he heard the soldiers were looking for him and tried to escape by his, but was discovered by a child. After feeding the guards who captured him, he asked for an hour in prayer, which they gave him. He prayed with such fervency that his guards said they were sorry that they were the ones who captured him. Usually a lot of times when I'm reading this out of the Fox's Book of Martyrs, but it's a Roman account of this guy getting killed, or it's in history. And anyway, uh, but most of the time when you read about somebody that died for Christ, for loving God and for telling other people about Christ, most of the time the people that, that are bringing them in get saved. And, and that's what we saw with the guards here today, that they were taking this guy to be killed and, and by his prayer and his fervency, his love for God and people, the guards said they were sorry and, and they felt bad about what they were doing. But nevertheless, he was taken before the governor and condemned to be burned in the marketplace. After his sentence was given, the governor said to him, reproach Christ. In other words, deny Christ and I'll release you. Polycarp answered, 86 years I have served him and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? That really gets me there today because I think that's a key and that's a point that we're going to hit later on today. That if we really knew how much Jesus loved us and we really knew Jesus and God like we say we do, that we'd even have great peace in these difficult times. That we wouldn't fear death that we wouldn't fear what this world has to bring against us because we know that no matter what happens to us, we're going to rise like Christ to be with God. So in the marketplace, he was tied to the stake rather than nailed, as was the usual custom, because he assured them he would stand immovable in the flames and not fight them. As the dry sticks placed under him were, were lit, the flames rose up and circled his body without touching him. The executioner was then ordered to pierce him with a sword. When he did, a great quantity of blood gushed out and put the fire out. Although his Christian friends asked to be given his body as it was so they could bury him, the enemies of the gospel ins insisted that he be burned in the fire, which was done. So here we have this guy that was already given all that he had to Christ, to loving God, to loving people that would suffer to the point of giving his life because he loved God and understood the love of God and loved people. This guy had been the pastor and had built this church into the church that it was that day. And he knew God and he experienced God and he died for God and he went on to be with the Lord. What a great example of what we need to be in the body of Christ. 
What a great example that, that I need to be that, that as a follower of Jesus to know him so well that this world cannot shake me. And point two of what I'm wanting to say today and remind us of today is there's a war going on between good and evil. There's a war going on between Satan and the saints of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, and 19, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Christ will have a church in this world. Christ does have a church in this world. His church will be mightily attacked by Satan. And his church has been mightily attacked by Satan. But none of the devil's attacks will destroy the church. He can't destroy the church. Man, I look out here today, look at Oakton on how God is loving you and you're loving him and you're loving people. And look at all the people that we continually bring in to hear the message of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what Satan, sin, or death tries to do. We're going to continue pressing in to the things of God. Today, I want to remind you, Oakton, like Christ was reminding Smyrna, there's still a war going on. There's still a war between Satan and the church. And again today, as Bryce read in the class from Colossians 1.18, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may be the, the preeminence, uh, prominence. In other words, he's supreme. Jesus is in control. Jesus is over the church. Jesus is over us. He is leading us. He is guiding us into all directions. And we're winning this war and we'll win this war. But we continue loving God and we continue loving people with all that we have. A lot of people say, oh, pastor, you're crazy. Well, I looked up a statistic there. You can do the same thing. Go, Siri, how many people died in World War II? And it's going to say, or she's going to say, 73 million, unless you're like my wife, and it's going to be this British guy. It's a 73 million. He's going to say it real weird. But 73 million people lost their lives during World War II. 73 million people, and we declare that the war of all wars. That was the, the baddest war of all. And how many people died from, for, for, for just that time? But since Christ walked the earth, 70 million Christians have been martyred for bringing people to Christ, for building his kingdom. Did you guys hear that today? 70 million Christians have been martyred since Christ was raised from the dead for loving God, for loving people, and bringing people to Christ. Is that not a war? Is that not a war? You see, immediately after Christ's death and resurrection, we see that Peter led 3,000 to the Lord. Peter led 5,000 to the Lord. Then the word says that there was people coming in every day, people loving God, people loving each other, and people were getting saved daily. And then what happened? Stephen was opposed in Acts chapter 8, 1. And he began to preach the word of God, the love of God, and he began to just say it like it is. And what happened? They took him out of the city and they stoned him for preaching the love of God, the kingdom of God, and the love of people. 
And it said in the word in, in Acts 8, 1, a great persecution arose against the church. During that time, it was said that over 2,000 Christians were martyred. Martyred for bringing others to Christ. You see, there's a war going on, and if Satan sees that Oakton's leading people to Christ, he's going to do everything he can to come against it because there's a war going on for the people in the world. And Satan wants to take him with him, and God sent his son to take him with, with him. And I don't want to get into that story. Well, if God loved me, then he wouldn't let this happen. God created us to be with him in the beginning. We chose to walk away. Now we got to choose to walk back. And if we don't walk back to him, we're choosing Satan. And we're on Satan's team until we're saved. And so we need to press into God and love people and love each other. And, our, and again, when we're doing that, Satan said, oh boy, they're becoming a threat. You know, there's 3,000 saved, 5,000 saved. I've got to bring a persecution. I've got to come against this church with great suffering. And again, 2,000 were martyred in a short period of time. Those that died during these biblical times and soon after was James, the half-brother of Jesus, A.D. 44, by sword. Philip, A.D. 44. Matthew, A.D. 60, in Ethiopia. Again, out preaching the gospel to the world. James, A.D. 66, thrown from a temple tower, and he wasn't dead, so they clubbed him over the head until he smashed it in. Pretty gross, isn't it? All because he loved God and loved people and was winning people to Christ. Matthias, that took Judas' place, was stoned in Jerusalem. Andrew was crucified on the X-shaped cross. Uh, came, to known, came to be known as the St. Andrew's cross. Mark, tradition says he was dragged to pieces uh, by the people of Alexandria. Peter's beautiful account, and I love so well, and I'm going to read it from, from the history account, historical accounts here. And this is one quoted from Fox's Book of Martyr. But his account includes a miraculous appearance by Christ. When Peter was old, Nero planned to put him to death. When the disciples heard of this, they begged Peter to flee the city, said to be Rome. And he did. But when he got to the city gate, he saw Christ walking toward him in a vision. Peter fell to his knees and said, Lord, where are you going? And Christ answered, I have come to be crucified again. By this, Peter understood that it was... His time to suffer the death of Jesus, which would glorify God, that Jesus told him about in John 21, 19. So he went back to the city after being captured and taken to his place of martyrdom, and he requested that he be crucified in an upside-down position because he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same position as his Lord. Paul was, was killed and beheaded in A.D. 50, or 66. Jude in A.D. 72 was crucified in Mesopotamia. Barth Bartholomew, um, Thomas in India, he was tortured by angry pagans. Uh, again, Luke hung from an olive tree in Athens in A.D. 93. Uh, they tried to kill John the Revelator. They tried to torture him to death, but he wouldn't die, so they put him on the island of Patmos. That's our Patmos, and that's where he wrote these, these visions. So we see all these things, but even going a little bit further, um, we see martyrs after martyrs of people since then that have lived for Christ and have given their lives to Christ and loved God and loved people were killed and suffered death because there's a war going on. Voices of Martyrs says over 70 million people died since Jesus walked the earth we talked about earlier. Let's we'll just give you some of those. In Nazi Germany, one million. 
In Russia, between 1917 and 1950, or 50, 15 million. In China, at least 200,000 Christians and foreigners were killed in the Boxer Rebellion of 1898 to 1900. Another 7,000 were killed in communist China between 1950 and 1980. The number of Catholics killed in Mexico from the late 1800s to 1930s estimated 107,000. In 1971 to 1979, 300,000 Ugandans Christians were killed, all because they were building the kingdom of God, leading others to Christ. Todd Johnson at the Center of Study of Global Christianity says that 100,000 Christians are martyred a year. Did you ever hear that before? A year. Because they were building the kingdom of God and leading others to Christ. Jesus' own, own word said, Indeed, an hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God because they were building the kingdom of God and leading others to Christ. Hmm. But I see, without question, the true church of Christ is still in this world today. Without question, yeah, all hell's throwing everything they can against the church and the body of Christ, but they have not prevailed. They will not prevail. Without question, the church has endured and held its testimony of Christ through every attack brought against it. God's got an army, and that's you and I. God's got an army, that's you and the believer. The believer, we need to stand for the love of God and telling people about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you that Revelation 12, 11 says, And the church, they have conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. And I put the whole passage up there today because God's got an army and that's us. And we are strong because we stand in the blood of the Lamb in the word of our testimony. And we don't love our lives more than than we do Christ. Christ is number one in our hearts. Again, it goes back to Jesus when he said, Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. In our leadership class, and again Tuesday, we have it at 6.30, but, but I was studying and I didn't use this there. But I found the law of victory, godly leadership won't succeed without a fight. And go ahead and put that scripture back up because it's based on the scripture in Revelation 12, 1 through 7. And this is by Maxwell that that I'm quoting here. But he said in orders, and again, the law of victory for the church, the law of leadership for the Christian, in order for leaders to find a way for the team to win, the church... There must first be a contest. In Revelation 12, we read about the ultimate contest between the forces of good and the forces of evil. The host of heaven take on the dragon and his angels. God eventually wins out through the blood of Christ and the testimony of believers in Revelation 12, 11. The truth for the believer, the leader, is first, victory rarely comes without a fight. There is not success without a sacrifice. There is a cost to every crown. The good news is anything worth achieving is worth the battle. Second, victory rarely comes without a team effort. Michael, the archangel, 
didn't fight alone in Revelation 12, 7. He had his angels with him. The saints didn't overcome the enemy alone. They overcame by the blood of the land. lamb. Verse 11. God designed us to win in community. We win through the blood of the lamb. We win by the word of our testimony. This victory should never come without a celebration. The heavens rejoice at victory of the lamb. The greater the victory, the greater the celebration. But we're successful. And we can rejoice today because salvation is through the blood of the lamb. That's the only way to heaven. We celebrate today because the word of our testimony is most important. The word of God is most important. And we must value these things over all other things. We cannot love our lives more than Christ and the church, the people. We cannot love our lives more than the people out in the world. Jesus said not to love our lives unto death. Satan's strategy has been to take them words that God has told us through Jesus, through the revelator, that Satan's strategy is to say that the blood of the Lamb isn't necessary nowadays. Universalism, there's other ways to heaven. The Christ is no longer the only way. That's what the world would tell us. You go to some seminaries, they'd tell you the same thing. Colleagues are preaching that all across. They're trying to take away the power, the blood of the Lamb. The word of our testimony is the power, the blood of the Lamb. They're trying to take away our testimony by saying, keep your mouth shut. People don't want you to talk. People don't want you to say things about Christ. Don't lead anybody to Christ. You can't go preach on a street corner anymore. That's not accepted today. Nobody's going to get saved by you preaching on a street corner. Zip it. He's trying to destroy the word of your testimony. And the other thing that he does is he tries to get us to love this life more than our life of Christ. And man, that's what's gigging a lot of Christians today. That's what happened to the church of Ephesus. They got distracted and got their eyes on everything else but their first love. They got their eyes on everything else around them but their first love. So Satan's strategy has been to convince the believer that Christ and the church community are not valuable anymore. That's his goal. Second Timothy 2.4 tells us, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. If we would have sung Arnold Christian Soldier today, we'd all got pumped up. We'd all got excited. But that's saying that we're not pursuing civilian things, pursuits this world. But our aim is to please the one who enlisted us. Paul in Ephesians 6.10 reminds us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Then he goes on to tell us to put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all you've done, to stand firm, stand firm, therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, 
and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness to give the gospel of peace. In other words, tell others. In all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith, with his, you can, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. It's time to join that spiritual battle. It's time to press in and, and go a little deeper in him. And again, guys, I know we're doing it, but we're here to press in and win everybody to Christ possible. We're here to love God more than anything else. And I think Paul had a handle on this better than, than, than I could do for sure. But he knew who he was in Christ. He showed the believers how to be a church. And last week I tried to quote from it, and I'm going to read it to you this week. Philippians 1.20 through 26. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been bold in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I remain alive so I can continue to help all of you You grow and experience the joy of the faith of your faith. And when I come to you again, you'll have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Wow. He was not ashamed. He was bold. And he lived to bring honor to Christ. That's what it is when we say we're believers. That we're not ashamed of the gospel. That we're bold to tell others about it. That we're bold to lead people to Christ. And we bring honor to him. We get up in the morning. We go to bed at night. Lord, did I bring honor to you today? Lord, did I bring honor to you by my actions? You see, they believed that Living for Christ is, is good, but dying is good too. In other words, they knew Christ so well. Paul knew Christ so well that he wasn't scared to die. He said, oh, if I live, I can lead more people to Christ. I can build God's kingdom more, but if I die, I'm with him. And so when we have Polycarp and some of these guys that were burned at the stake, we can kind of see that Man, they loved God so much that, yeah, they didn't want to go on because they could see the good God was doing them here, but they were so in touch with Jesus that they weren't as scared of death. In other words, this world never wavered them. This world never touched them. They lived to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. That's what Paul said in verse 25. 
Is that why we live today? You know, I live today that, that Howard Overman, I could bring joy in his life. You know, I live today that I can bring joy in Jennifer Diggs' life. Is that, is that why we live today to bring joy into somebody's life through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because that's what was pulling Paul to stay. That's why he wanted to stay, was to proclaim Christ. So how do we get this kind of faith? And it's easy to me. It's on your knees, and, and we know these things in prayer. Man, it's getting down and seeking God and praying and, and seeking Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's standing and living out the Word and not watering down the Word. It's being committed to God's army, the church, being committed to this body. And again, being committed to help all others grow and experience the joy of Christ. To receive Him, to love on Him. And, and I really get frustrated because these things aren't wrong. But, but, but we do it other ways. But, but I saw on Facebook the other day, and again, I'm not knocking these things, they're good. But, but FFA made me the way that I am today, the man that I am today. I read that on Facebook. Oh, yeah, I can look back. The FFA, get, it ties parliamentarian. Yeah, I can see what he's saying there. But I look over here and, and this guy and gal put on there, hey, man, sports made me into the woman I am today. I'm thinking, yeah, sports were good. But, but you know. <laughs> but at funerals, I've never heard the FFA creed recited. I've never heard the school pride song sang. But they begged me to sing, say the Lord's Prayer. They begged me to read Psalms chapter 23. And so I challenge you today to recognize as, as family and churches, as parents, as grandmas, grandpa, as singles, as, as married, whatever you are today. Realize that church done right will make you into the man of God and woman you are today. And that we need to support that with all that we can. And again, I'm not knocking them other things. But we support everything else with all of our being. And yeah, you know, that's going around. I don't have to be in church to be saved. Well, then why is Satan trying to destroy the church? Because that's where the power is at. There's a war going on, and God is saying to us, the Holy Spirit is saying to us today, that yeah, I know that times are tough, I know you're in tribulation, I know that, you know, I know your poverty, and I know the slander that's been said against you, but guys, you're going to suffer too. If you believe in me, people aren't going to like it. And if you tell others about me, they're not going to like it. And, and he's saying, though, that I've equipped you. I've given you all that you need. You have the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. And just do those things. God has equipped you. And, and, and one day I'm going to preach this. But he woke me Sunday or Wednesday morning. And I was preaching at youth Wednesday night. And I was asking the Lord for a word. And I hadn't had time to get it. And he woke me and said, a fishing pole. And, and so I went and bought a fishing pole. And I said, guys, 
this is going to be a, a, a giveaway tonight. Come out to church. But if you get a fishing pole, you got the rod and the reel, and it's usually it's in two pieces. You got a lower half with the reel, then the upper half with the extension, and you can snap them together. But but the rod in that short piece there is you. And we went on about how beautiful that rod and reel was that, and how beautiful we are to God. And then for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then I said, kids, what's the next thing that we need to have, though, to, to have eternal life? And they kind of looked at me and I said, well, what's the thing you got to have to go fishing? What's next? And they said, a fishing license. And I go, what happens when you don't have a fishing license? And they said, well, you get fined or go to jail. And I said, guys, if we don't have salvation license, if you will, we got a license to go to heaven when we get saved. And we need that license. And we need to choose Jesus as Lord. And, and the Lord kept going on and giving me things. And the next thing he told me, he said that, that uh, the, the string inside, the reel, represents the word of God. And you can have four pounds or you can have 50 pounds. You can have whatever weight you want. But I kind of said the bigger the weight, the bigger the fish, which didn't crack in 100%. But I was trying to tell them the more words you have, the more God's going to use you to do great things in the world. How he can use you to change this world. So the word of God in us, that string, that's what pulls everybody in. The word is what draws. The word gets into the deep morrow. The word is a lamp under our feet. The word is what's in us that pulls people to us. And the love of Christ, Christ was the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It was Christ. So that word, the fishing line, draws us. And then this is the one that really got me. As I was plugging in that rod extension, the Lord spoke to me and said, that's the Holy Spirit. He said, a lot of the world's trying to go without the Holy Spirit. And I said, how many of you can fish with this little stubby rod? You can do it and get by with it. You know, you can get a little things done, but you're not going to do the extraordinary miracles and the things without the power of the Holy Spirit, and we need to plug him into our life. Then I went on to say the Holy Spirit showed me the cork represents the church, and that cork, you know, doesn't think it's that valuable, but it is. We don't think the church is that valuable, but it's really valuable. That cork keeps us above water but also tells us, it helps us to see when something's pulling at the, the, the string and the hook. So we need the church. And then he went on to say, oh, anyhow, they make these shotgun little bobbers now, shotgun shells. It looks like a real shotgun shell. I put one of them on there. And I go, that represents the power of God, the power of the word. But anyway, but it went into the hook is most important, and that hook is Jesus Christ. And that's a hook. It's Jesus Christ. And we got to put bait on that hook. And that, that, that bait is the word of our testimony. That bait is what we put on there. And if we're not putting bait or, or, or worm on that hook, then the Holy Spirit said we're eating the worms. And I ate a worm. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do it. I didn't do that. But I didn't that night because I didn't want to break the spirit because it was so heavy. It was so powerful there. And, and, but that's what the Lord said, that we're not baiting our worms, we're eating them. Our, our hooks, we're eating them. In other words, a church can get so selfish with the gift that we have to give somebody. And we can get so inclusive. And then the last thing is our mission. 
is go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So today as we close out, we've been equipped with all things. God has given us all things that we need to do. And, and, and it'll be like Paul. It'll be like Peter. It won't even be suffering. It's just, that's just something that happened. We just press through in the joy of the Lord. In life, we just jump through life because of the joy of the Lord in our life. But we got to get focused in on the Lord and focused in on the things of God. And that's what the challenge is to the church of Smyrna. Hey, guys, you're doing a good job. Keep doing it. Oakton, you're doing a good job. Let's keep doing it. Amen? So today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, that's the first step. I know you guys are out telling people and bringing people to Christ. There's unsaved people here today. You need a license. You need salvation for eternal life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody goes to heaven except by Jesus. And if you're here today and you're thinking, Pastor, man, I need a, I need, I need a touch and feeling a refreshing. Whatever it is today, these altars are open. But I say to you, we need to be men and women of prayer. And whatever you need from the Lord today, I challenge you to pray about that, to come to these altars and pray, to get focused in on Him because He's given us all that we need to overcome. Amen?